I like that song about uh, let it rain. And I was thinking of what I learned in grammar school about rain, that water has to evaporate. And then the rain uh, drops collect in the clouds and they get heavy and they come over and then they rain down. And I want to kind of do a little appetizer today about grace. And a lot of times, you know, we really need grace, but grace comes by giving thanks, by preparing an atmosphere for God's presence. And I know all of us come in with, we got pains, we got problems, we got financial issues, we got relational issues, we got pressures at work, pressures in working things out with relatives and friends, uh, different things that hang over us. And all these things zap the life out of us and they, they steal our joy and they steal our, our faith and our confidence in who God is. And so when we come together on Sunday morning, it's the grace of God we need. We need to experience his grace. I, I mean, I got up in the middle of the night and you know my personality, I tell you how I, what I deal with things and immediately I had just negative feelings and just, just this old song came up in my mind and I just started thanking the Lord and it just kind of pushed the, the negative feelings and thoughts out of my mind in, in a moment and I just began to thank Jesus. I began to praise the Lord and it just brought a whole atmosphere changed in my life. And so I want to do something different this morning. Will you just stand? Just kind of kind of close yourself up and begin to just audibly let yourself be able to hear praise you Jesus thank you Lord God we just praise you Lord we just lift up our praises and our thanksgiving to you Lord we're we're presenting Lord uh, moisture Lord to gather in the rain clouds Lord we're we're presenting our worship to you Lord to to create an atmosphere of rain hallelujah we just thank you Jesus for your presence Lord we lift our soul to you Lord those places where we don't even want to worship we thank you God that you're our God we thank you that you're above our problems Lord you're above our physical conditions Lord you're above our finances we hallelujah we praise you, God. You are our provider. You are the one who supplies all of our need. You're the one that hears and answers our prayers. You're the one that moves in the impossible realms and changes things. You're the God of miracles. We thank you, Jesus. We praise your name. We say hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise your name, Jesus. Oh, my soul magnifies you, Lord, as the Lord of my life, as the God of my answers. Hallelujah. You're my everlasting Father. You said you would never leave me or forsake you. Forsake me. We thank Thank you, Jesus, that you're not a forsaker. You're not a rejecter. You're not an abandoner. Lord, you're a healer. You're a restorer. Lord, you're a, you're a rich God who pours out abundance upon us. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let your, let your voice, let your, hear yourself sing. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Does that feel a little better? You, can, you may be seated. Grace, the definition, joy and to rejoice. It is the word of God's grace as extended to sinful man. Joy is part of God's grace that is poured out into our hearts. And yet sometimes our emotions, our, our feelings do not identify with what's going on in our heart as believers. 
Grace signifies unmerited favor, undeserved blessing, a free gift. Are you trying to be good enough today? Are you trying to uh, compensate for maybe attitudes or maybe you did a little swearing this week or, or you shouted at someone? I mean, all these things, uh, try to, they try to play on us that we try to work up a worthiness again. No, just receive grace today. Receive the outpouring of God's grace on your life. It's unmerited. You'll never be able to work for it. You'll never be able to do enough for it. If you sinned, if you're failed, God, forgive me. I blew it this week. God, for, I blew it in my family. I blew it on the job. God, I blew it in my attitudes. God, I'm angry at you. Lord, I thank you for your grace. God, pour down your grace upon me right now. God, pour down your grace upon our congregation right now. Fill our hearts to overflowing with a revelation of your grace. Pour out your Holy Spirit of grace upon us. Strengthen us in the inner man. God, move on our minds. God, move on our emotions. Move on everything that comes against us and causes us not to understand the grace of God that has settled over our lives. While we are in sinners, Jesus died for us. It says that by grace we are saved through faith in Ephesians 2. By grace, by God's grace, not because we deserve it, but because God loves us, that He decides to pour out grace upon us. And anytime you're, you're feeling down and negative, just begin to say, thank you, God, for your grace. Thank you for your, for your grace. You know, you get into a situation where you can't change your attitude, you can't change your, your family or your partner or whatever, begin to thank God for his grace. Thank you, Lord, that you saved me. And I go back to that foundation that I am born again through Jesus Christ, that the Spirit of God is now residing in my life. And thank you, God, that you're working. I may not see how you're working. I may not see any evidences of the prayers I'm praying. But thank you, God, you're the God who's hearing my prayers. You're the God that's moving in my behalf. You're the God that's changing me and transforming me. You're the God that's giving me hope. You're the God that's raising me from the dead. Thank you, Jesus. And you can begin to just turn yourself around because it's the grace of God that is not lifted from you. But our feelings and our thoughts and the things that we go through uh, try to push grace out of the way and our, our spirit and our heart gets suppressed by the natural world. But God's grace is constantly available to us and for us. Tyler, I'm going to skip from, well, no, I'm not going to skip yet. I had a, a couple things, you know, I've been talking about um, becoming disciples, and my, you see my message title today is called Making Disciples. But before I get into that, I just want to, again, talk a little bit from the place of being a disciple, being a follower, becoming a disciple, growing more and more. And Jerry, thank you for that exhortation about, you know, real life going through experiences in church and, you know, leaving and staying and wanting to go and, and staying and letting God work. That's the process of becoming a disciple. We're always growing in what God's doing in our lives to help us become strong disciples. And uh, I just wanted to talk about subtle distractions. You know, as, as disciples, as followers of Christ, we're working on following Jesus. We're working on learning to hear from him and respond to him and be the disciples who are truly followers of him. In Matthew 10, 16, Jesus said to his disciples, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Evil people and demonic activity seek to distract the disciple from their divine purposes. Subtle definition, slight, pleasantly understated. Satan's ability to offer a painless cross as a good distraction. You know, God's wanting us to do something. You know, it's going to work on our will. It's going to cross our will. 
And, and yet there comes a different alternative that seems good, maybe a little religious, even loving, pleasing God. But if it's not what God wants you to do, it's a distraction. And remember, Satan is subtle. He was more subtle than any, any creature on the ground. In Ephesians 5, 15 through 17, out of the CEV version, it says, Act like people with good sense and not like fools. These are evil times, so make every minute count. Don't be stupid. Instead, find out what the Lord wants you to do and do it. Genesis 3, 1. The snake was a sneaker than any other, sneakier than any other wild animals that the Lord God had made. Adam and Eve were to follow God and give him family that, that, he, that God wanted, but they became distracted. Look at how many thousands of years it took God to work his plan where Jesus came in and died to bring us back into that place where God was making disciples, followers, and family members. There's a lot of things that happen. A little deception, a little subtle deception could get you off track. How much suffering has occurred in so many lives when a disciple becomes distracted by Satan's subtle ways. Okay, now I have to make a shift. Tyler, I want to go to, or uh, Daniel, I want to go to slide 10. I didn't talk to Dory, but I really believe a prophetic thought for us is about crossroads. Crossroads and intersections. I woke up in the middle of the night. I've had this down for four weeks. Crossroads and intersections. It's a prophetic word. In the middle of the night, I could have prophesied that out. Crossroads and intersections. The definition of crossroads, a place where roads intersect, a point at which a vital decision must be made. Intersection, a place where two or more roads meet, a junction, a place of life change. I don't know what that is or what God's saying to us today, but there are crucial places. There are intersections that we are at right now. And especially as we've been talking about following Jesus, becoming a disciple, and continuing on that discipleship course, there are key places where we are making choices, where even we are subtly being distracted by the enemy to make choices that are going to get us off track. And like she shared about her brother, you know, having his whole life, Go in a whole different direction because he missed his intersection. And instead of turning off and continually following the Lord, he went on his own ways. And he followed a person other than Jesus Christ. And however that resonates with you and whatever God's saying to you today, grab a hold of it. Because it uh, it can really affect how you live the rest of your life and what you might give up for temporary uh, satisfaction or maybe even a safety but you'll give up something more richer. And I feel like also in what we go through as disciples, there's a real attack on our will. When we have our will in activity, when it's in motion, when it's alive, when we, when we have feeling and we're, we're able to make choices, that is when we are the most alive for God. It is so easy for us to become religious, even as disciples, being in a religious routine, being in a place where, you know, we're really not happy. We've given up our will, but we've given it up to religion, and we're not actively using our will to serve God. In that place, we are in a deadly place because our will, the most joy we're going to have is if our will is activated. That's why Jesus said, every day pick up your cross. What does the cross do? The cross also reminds us that our will is free in God and in Christ. And as we follow him, 
we experience that freedom in our will to exercise it and to make those choices. So it's not that, that um, oh, I have to do something, but I get to do something. And it changes our whole perspective in following the Lord. If it's a choice we're making because it's going to be better for us, then it can bring the joy that we need to have in our serving God. It's so hard to just serve God out of duty. Think of marriages. Think of relationships. When we slip into that place of duty and we're not actively uh, choosing our will or we're not actively working on our relationships or, or fighting through things, then we're missing out on the benefit of those relationships. I so appreciate my wife this week because I went through another thing this last a mon- Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday where God was so uh, just, again, working on my will. Again, the way I lived, I, I learned to give my will away because I have this servant part gift. And so the people around me, my bosses, my parents, uh, my leaders, I gave my will, but I, I didn't really own it freely. And so a lot of the things I did became religious. They became uh, uh, routine. And I, I lived disconnected from relationships. I didn't learn how to press through different things because I let my will go into neutral. And as this anger came up this week, I so appreciate my wife to allow me to not... To not get upset because I was angry, but understand that God was trying to bring my will into activity again. And when you realize your will has not been being used like it should be, you get angry because you realize every place you've given it up, every place you've let other people or or yourself um, check out. And when we check out, especially in our lives, in our marriages, in our relationships, we miss out on the life that's supposed to be, we're supposed to be getting from those relationships. So I just want to encourage you, if you have to feel angry, to get a hold of your will, to be able to, to find it and then surrender it to God, you are going to be so far ahead. Yes, you may go through a few days of anger and frustration, but anger is a sign that you're coming out of denial. Okay, crossroads and intersections. Um, this context is Jacob. You know, we think... Jacob, when he was born, it says, when you read Genesis and you're reading about Jacob, in the womb, Jacob and Esau, already God said Jacob was going to rise above Esau. It said that he, even though he was second born, he was going to get the birthright. And so it's kind of perplexing to read the story and realize, wow, Jacob, by God's calling over his life, he was chosen And yet, we see through his life the choices he made that he was a manipulator, a supplanter, a deceiver, a trickster. That he was doing things on his own to try to get, you know, what he wanted. You know, he took opportunity at Esau when he was hungry to make him a little meal to steal his birthright. But he didn't understand that deep down in his spirit, there was a call on him to be firstborn anyway. That he was going to get all the firstborn inheritance because it was designed by God from the very beginning. So that's kind of the start of this little story. So after that decision, you know, he gets blessed by his father and he's running because Esau wants to kill him. He, he's heading out to, to find a wife and, and to start building his business, you might say, and building his inheritance in the natural and grow. But on his way to Laban's house, on his way to, to start his life as a young man, he meets God at Bethel. And he has that ladder. He sees that vision of God and the angels of God descending upon him. And he kind of gets that prophetic blessing that God's going to bless him. But then he goes into 14 years of working for his wife and uh, being tricked by Laban and having uh, his wages changed and all the frustration he, he went through to try to, to earn his life. And, and he's at another place of crossroads. 
He's at another intersection of disciples. He's in this discipleship process, which God uses every experience that we go through, even our failures, to help us and help us learn about making right choices and making those decisions. But God is key and involved in every time we're at an intersection, God is on the street corner. God is there, ready to usher you down the right road, ready to help you make that decision. And again, like we talked a minute ago, God's grace is there to help you make that decision when the tempter, when that subtle voice of distraction is trying to direct you in another way. In Genesis 32, 24, Jacob was left alone. You know, Jacob was getting ready to meet his brother, so he kind of put the herds, you know, his family, and the ones he loved closest, he kind of had them uh, closer to him, but he had other people out to protect because he wasn't sure how Esau was going to react to him. And he puts his, his closest family aside, and he goes off by himself. He's fearful. He's in a place where, you know what, he's getting to the end of himself. He's getting the end of him doing it his way. And it's at those crossroads where we get to those places when we're really kind of worn down. And we do get worn down and doing our, our own thing and going our own way. Life does have a way of wearing us down to the point where we're ready to surrender and let go. You know, we can talk about letting go. We can say, I need to let go. But life and, th- and the will of God and God's presence will get us to that place where we finally give up. And I, I'd like to say we could choose that every moment, but it's the dealings of God. It's the workings of the Holy Spirit that help us to really get to that place. So in Genesis thirty twenty four, then Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until the break of day. The Bible seemed to tell us that that man is an angel that's wrestling with him. And that intersection, that, that crossroads brought a, an incredible spiritual change and a natural change that affected all of Israel. In Genesis 32, 25 through 31, Now when the angel saw that he did not prevail against him, he touched the socket of his hip, and the socket of Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, let me go for the day breaks. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. You know, Jacob, again, that name means trickster, supplanter, manipulator. But the name change that the angel was offering him from God was Israel contender with God, someone who overcomes and wins favor with God. For you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked, tell, <clears throat> tell me your name, I pray you. And he said, why is it that you ask about my name? And he blessed him there. So Jacob called the name of the place Penuel. For I have seen the face of God and my life is preserved. Just as he crossed over Penuel, the sun rose on him, and he was limping because of his hip. You know, we have a lot of expectations as Christians to, um, to win and to be winners and to overcome and to see every prayer answered and to see all the miracles. But if you read the stories of Bible characters and you read the stories of people who have become disciples, not everyone is an overcomer and a winner in the, in the place that we might think that you're best or that you really won. There's only one Super Bowl winner. There's only one uh, uh, Miss America. There's, there's only one person who wins in an election. And there's always the losers 
There's always a team of people whose faces are dejected and uh, frustrated. But that's kind of uh, where I want to go from today. And I, I just felt like uh, our, um, our Ministers Fellowship International co-chairman really uh, laid this message out about real life as a Christian and following Jesus. And he said this, your life message comes out of your experience. Victory comes out of a context of suffering. Your life message is what God has taken you through. My life message is what God has healed in me and what God has healed in you. Your life message is what God has left maimed in you. We don't want anything left weak in us. My weakness, my scars are my credentials in God. And even as Jacob walked away with a limp, he walked away with that weakness that he would carry the rest of his life, but he walked away with a name change. He walked away with credentials that were identified with that hip that showed him to be Israel, God's people, a place that God would build an inheritance, a place where God would bring the Christ into the world, the Son of God, the one who would be our, our inheritance. And I don't know what you may be struggling with and what you may be wrestling with God and what even sometimes hinders your, hinders your faith, but you must find out and know if what you're struggling with is what God is going to use to give glory to his name. It could be an addiction that you have a, a past that you come out of, that you have a story. It could be a, a mental deficiency. Uh, like me, I, I struggle with depression. I struggle with social anxiety. It seems that the older I get and the more I'm in God, it becomes part of my credential, part of my weakness I share, part of the place I struggle with. I have the grace of God to do what I do. But if you catch me alone sometimes, I may seem disconnected. I may seem that I don't like you. It's my limp. It's something that I carry around, but it's something that I've seen God grow. And it's my weakness, but also it's a place where the Holy Spirit manifests His grace. In 2 Corinthians 12, 9, Paul wrote, And the Lord said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, most gladly, Paul said, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me had the opportunity this week to share my weakness with someone, and it really penetrated them to the place where they could uh, understand some of their own struggles and be open a little bit more to receiving and being open to, to Christ and what, what God would do in their life. Sufficient grace. Sufficient suggests the idea of raising a barrier or warding off. God giving us the grace, the supernatural ability or miraculous faculty to sustain, endure, or maintain our call for all that's enabling us to become in Christ. Our suffering is part of our calling. Our suffering is part of the place that we will give a testimony from, that we will give God glory from, because it's a place where God causes us to have a story and to experience Him in a reality that nothing else can be. It's so different, you know, when everything goes good and, you know, but what if it doesn't go good? What if you're not healed? What if you stay broken? What if you, you know, had a failed marriage or you were rejected or you were abandoned? 
out of that, God wants to manifest a message. God want to, wants to manifest a power in your life that caused you to rise up of what, what's trying to hinder you and keep you down. That's what Jesus majors on. He majors on causing us to overcome from our weaknesses. Your healing, your story, the power of God in your life could come out of what you're going through right at this moment. Something you're wondering, is God going to do anything with? And again, the frustration comes when we don't see God doing something that we're praying about. I say, press on. I say, God, don't let my will hang back in this. Don't let me... Don't let this stop my spiritual growth because I don't understand what you're doing because in my mind, I'm asking for this. I'm not getting it. But God, what do you want to do? Let me not lose out on who I'm supposed to be and what you want me to become as your disciple and as your follower. In Psalms 84:11, it says, The Lord will give grace and glory grace we need grace we need grace to understand who we are where we're at where we're going on this path and the choices that we're making to follow the lord give me grace to stay on this path give me grace to be obedient because i don't see anything happening i don't seem to like this road i don't like the bumps and the barriers and the blocks that are on this road god give me the grace to hold on to you as i press on and go down this road because i know it's your will And that's the thing, because we are spiritually recreated in Christ. Our spirit is born again once we receive Jesus. We know when we're doing God's will, because we know we're not always comfortable. And there just seems to be a conflict that goes on where in, in our own mind, in our own feelings, we'd like to take a different road, but we know we'd get off the path. We know it'd be easier, but we know it's not what God wants. And so by God's grace, He holds us and and he helps us with our will to hold to what he wants so that he can have his way in our lives. All of us are in constant process and constant change. We're always on the wheel being reshaped. We're always being remolded. Every season of our life, every period of time, every decade that we live, God is working something in our life. You know, sometimes we struggle with our mates. Those of us are married. Sometimes we, we give up too early, but the very person you're married to is it a very important person that God's using to establish that grace? In 1 Peter 3, 7, Peter challenges husbands. He says, Husbands, dwell with your wives with understanding, giving honor to your wife as to the weaker vessel, as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. Grace is God's empowerment. Grace is God's ability as a believer, to overcome and to live for God. So those of you who are married, continue to work out your relationships. If you need to struggle, if you've been avoiding things, determine we are going to have a summit. Just like our politicians get together and they talk things out and they get angry at each other. Determine you're going to talk things out and you're going to talk things out and you're going to talk things out and you're going to ask forgiveness and you're going to pray forgiveness. You're going to talk and you're going to forgive. You're going to talk and you're going to forgive. Why? Because God wants your prayers to be answered and God wants you to come into the grace of life. There's a grace for for all of our lives, whether you're married or single. There's a grace for you while you're single. There's a grace for you while you're married and it's from God. In whatever state that we're in, that grace must be drawn upon because it's powerful. It's God's ability by the Holy Spirit to help us stay on the road and help us to understand what God wants to do in our lives and how he wants to use us.
my title today was Make Disciples of Jesus. Again, back to a key verse we started a few weeks ago, Max, Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Jesus' message to believers, go then and make disciples of all nations. Make also, also means to teach of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded you. So in this going, is kind of carrying on of what you're going through. You know, that's why you're going through this. That's why you're going through hard challenges and choices. Because when you ask Jesus Christ to come into your life, you started a road. You started a commitment that's going to go way past this few-minute coffee break that we live on this earth. And it's going to carry on into eternity. And right now, yes, because we're living in the natural world, it seems hard. But this life is going to pass so quickly. But your commitment to follow Jesus, your commitment to become the disciple that Jesus wants, is going to be every bit as important as what then you will help other people as you introduce them to Christ, as you help them on their journey to find God, to find his purpose, to find the life of God that comes through the Holy Spirit, to help them learn how to pray, learn how, how to have experiences with God. That's why there's such an attack on the local church. That's why there's so attack on every area because Satan knows if we stick it, stick with it, and we are connected together, we learn how to make disciples. We learn how to be disciplers. We learn how to watch God do a work in a person's life that we have had done in our life and that's ongoing. In um, Romans 1.16, that title is, How Do We Make Others Disciples, Followers of Jesus Christ? Romans 1.16, The gospel is the power of God to result in salvation for everyone who believes. Again, the simple gospel message that God came to earth in the form of a man, and his name was Jesus. That is the good news. That's the good news that changes every person who will believe it and receive him and begin that transformation process. That is our message. Introducing people to Jesus, telling people that there's an answer to their problems, that there's a hope. It's not necessarily promising they're going to get everything they wanted, but they're going to start having a relationship with God. They're going to be reconnected to God. The reason why they're alive is because God loves them and he wants a relationship with them. It's a simple message, but it, Paul said it's, one of the, it's the most powerful message. Some of the churches are just kind of really, really grabbing the message of the gospel. Frank DiMaggio is doing our whole MFI um, regional next week on making disciples, on going back to the gospel. Why? Because that's what changes lives. That's what begins. You know, we can get off on different doctrines, different tangents, but the basis of God's tr life-transforming power is the good news of Jesus Christ. In Acts 4.33, And with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. And this week, I want you to be asking God to pour out great grace upon you. What great grace will do will give you heaven's perspective. It'll give you God's perspective on everything you're going through and everything that you're putting up with. 
those of us who are dealing with each other in relationships, we put up with each other. Why? Because the love of God is working in our life. And, and that person that we're investing in, the person that we're married to, or the person that we're having a relationship with is a work in progress. And as we maintain our faithfulness to that person and believe that God is working on them, that life transformation happens. And so that great grace is extended through us as we believe in other people, as we see them in the video, that they're not in a still picture that we saw yesterday, but they're in constant transformation because the grace of God is at work in their lives, just like it's in work in our lives. There's a lot in those simple things. Wow, we talked about baptism that thrived a couple weeks ago. Those simple things. Water baptism, again, one of the most powerful experiences because something happens inside. The Holy Spirit does something in our heart that changes us, that forever changes us, that forever empowers us in our spirit to overcome every addiction, every sin, every stronghold that gives us a testimony of overcoming, that we can help encourage other people who we see going through the very things that we went through. We can encourage them and tell them, I know you're going to get through that. Why? Because God has gotten me through that, and I have overcome the power of the gospel, the power of the message that changed me. I can encourage someone else so it can change them. Again, it's the work of the Holy Spirit that's going to do that work of making the disciples. All we are going to do is bear witness and encourage people in it. also has to do with our lifestyle, us allowing the Holy Spirit to adapt and change us, to convict us, correct us. If we take the Word of God and we look at it and we examine our lives, we examine our hearts like last week when, he took, when we took communion and we examine where we're at, we examine our attitudes, we examine if our, our will is turned off or if we've gotten cold and we just ask for forgiveness, we ask for repentance. And I don't know how it happens, but in the next moment, the next day, we don't feel the same, we're different. Why? It's the work that God does in the spirit of changing us on the inside. And so we'll feel different. Our attitudes will change. Our anger will subside. Our joy returns. Our hope comes back. We hear God. We hear messages from him that cause us to be able to realize, hey, I'm, I am tracking with this thing. God really is speaking to me. Amen. How did the disciples make more disciples? In Luke 6.40, Jesus said, A pupil is not superior to his teacher, but everyone, when he is completely trained, readjusted, restored, set to right, and perfected, will be like his teacher. And w as we are becoming in that process, and as we're being changed, we become a more effective disciple. We, come, we become a, a more effective influencer. Just like some of you, you maybe have been in interim programs, or you start off as an assistant, or you start off as a clerk, or whatever. Whatever you start, you're learning, and then pretty soon you're a journeyman. You know, you're you're head of the office, or whatever it is that you're doing in your in your life, you learn and you grow and you develop, and then you become very proficient. You become very confident. Then you're training other people. It's the same thing as a Christian, that you grow wherever you're at, and don't beat yourself down, or don't let Satan beat you down if you're not where you feel like you should be and you feel like you know God wants to take you don't beat yourself down start where you're at God is the one that's working to develop you to be in that place where you may have an aspiration or you may have a just a glimpse God gives us a glimpse prophetically sometimes of where we're going to go and sometimes it's scary but sometimes it's enough to just uh, create an excitement about what God wants to do in our lives again our discipleship learning process must be powered 
We must have an experience in our own life to give testimony to. We must have proof going on that God is at work in our life. In Acts 1, 4 through 5, And being assembled together with them, Jesus commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Again, since we're so used to learning in the natural, then applying our knowledge and, you know, getting proficient in the natural with things, in the spiritual realm, it's about receiving. The disciples had walked with Jesus. They had heard all of his teachings. They knew the doctrines that, that were so part of his life and so part of something that he was imparting. But it wasn't enough for Jesus to go away and them just to be able to go start being um, disciple makers. They had to wait to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. And maybe sometimes, you know, our mind gets under the pressure. Okay, I have to start doing. I have to start becoming. I have to start making disciples. I, I would just sit back and just be praying, okay, God, I'm your disciple. I'm in process. God, fill me with your Holy Spirit. If the disciples needed you, and if the disciples could not move forward in making disciples and even becoming more without the Holy Spirit, God, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Maybe you've heard about the Holy Spirit. You've been in this church. You've been in other churches talking about the Holy Spirit. But you, you need a real fresh experience with him. Begin to ask God, fill me. Begin to do like we did earlier. Begin to thank God. Begin to praise the Lord. Begin to thank, you, thank God for his presence. Again, the precipitation. You're letting evaporation happen. You're praising. And then the precipitation. The rain comes down. The presence. Because God inhabits his 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 praises of his people he inhabits he dwells he lives there so you can create the atmosphere the, for the holy spirit to manifest he's living inside of us but our mind will and emotions are so strong sometimes that we are, we're not hearing we're not connecting with the holy spirit it is the power of god to our salvation it is the power of god that will use who we are to influence those that god wants to bring around and help us become disciples of, of christ in Acts 1.8, Jesus said to the disciples, You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And I've told you this before, you know, I received Christ when I was eight years old. Nine, I, 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 I received Christ when I felt his love, but at nine, three months later, I accepted him, and then I was water baptized. But really within my 20s, where I experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which was a greater infilling into my life of the power of God. And I was more mature. I had real-life struggles, real-life temptations, and had real-life opportunities to interact with people. So then the Holy Spirit enabled me to become a better witnesser, a better discipler, a better um, person who could reflect Christ. You know, sometimes we're, we don't want to say much about Jesus because maybe we're, we're swearing on the job or we're entering into some maybe unclean jokes or maybe a little pornography and we have this double life going on. It's okay to begin to pull back and say, God, I don't want to misrepresent you anymore. God, I want to stand as a man or woman who, who does it right. And let, let your testimony begin to come out. You know, don't be ashamed of who you are, but let, let the Holy Spirit transform you. Let there be a, a change in, in, in how you present yourself. Let Jesus out. You know, he'll, he'll do the work. He, he believes in you. He loves you. But he knows there's people around you that may never respond to the Lord. You're, you're going to be the only one that can touch them. Some of you have been around people and they've, they've just suddenly died. 
you know, maybe before their time, maybe they were young. And sometimes we have regret because we think, wow, I never talked to that person. Well, don't feel guilty, but just pray, God, if you want me to say anything, God, just help me to say anything. But what you can do to prepare those times is begin to pray for those people. God, let their heart be open. Maybe I won't be the one to talk to them, but I'm seeing them, I know their name, I'm praying for them that they can respond to you. And then, really what the disciples did, they established the church. You know, we're going through um, Corinthians in the men's Bible study, and, you know, Paul and the apostles are going through establishing churches, establishing places where people, like like we're, we're, what we're doing, gathering here, becoming part of something, so that we can work to build the kingdom of God in our community and to build effective change in people's lives. So in Acts 2.41, then those who gladly received the, his word were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. This is just after, um, you know, Pentecost. And Peter's explaining what happened. And so, and it says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and prayers. Those key elements. You know, we talked a little bit about fellowship week, two weeks ago, where our interaction together is all part of building our own uh, discipleship process and also helping us as we work together to work as a team to help other people grow. So fellowship is a key ingredient, you know, for our growing as disciples and then making disciples. Acts 2.46, some believers did this. So new believers continually daily, they continued daily with one accord in the temple and breaking of bread from house to house. So again, that fellowship, they, they continue, continue to gather together. After that salvation experience, they didn't go off and be independent. They learned how to connect in the body. And in the process of time, like uh, most of you uh, will experience, if you haven't experienced it yet, you begin to find your gifts. You begin to, they begin to come up like fruit that comes on a tree. And you begin to apply those gifts and then more people are affected by your ministry and your gift. Savannah offered opportunities today, you know, about um, working with the kids and being helpers, being on the tech team. Those are different places that you can uh, establish places of service and ministry. And it may seem, oh, not important. But when you think of all the things that need to happen, I, I so value our tech team. You know, Tyler, he's here almost every day. I come in and he's always here. You know, Daniel's been back there for, you know, like, like, what is it, 14 years, Daniel, you've been hanging around here working? You know, sometimes in our mind we think, oh, what I'm doing is not that significant. It's all part, and it all plays into um, your spiritual growth, your faithfulness and service, your character building. And as you grow, a lot of times God will change your jobs and maybe more spiritual responsibilities will come on that this may be a teacher or something. But God uses uh, all kinds of natural gifts to, to develop our character and allow spiritual gifts to be able to come up in our lives too. Uh, maybe our worship team could come up. I think I'll probably stop right there. You know, how I was talking today about, you know, your weakness or, you know, your limp, it's a fine balance. You You have to really protect your heart because it's so easy to to flip-flop one side or the other either i'm believing god's going to do all kinds of things for me or i believe oh this is i'm stuck with you 
have to maintain your faith. Your faith is the most important thing you have. Your faith no one can take from you. Your faith is intimate and intimately involved with your relationship with God. And your faith is very precious because with it, you use it to cooperate with God and see God do things. God is a God of miracles. God is a God who does the impossible things. So you can't give up and you can't just like get hung up if things aren't changing. You know what I'm saying? There has to be a grace in your life where you're wanting God to tell you why things aren't changing. You want to be like Paul. If you got a thorn that's not going away, is this thorn going to be part of my weakness, part of my testimony? Or is this something that I'm supposed to contend for? And again, I can't decide that for you. You, because you're an individual in relationship with God, must know what's yours and what you need to contend for or, or what you need to thank God as a weakness that God's going to use for His grace. Will you stand? Lord, in these closing moments, we thank you for the grace of God. We thank you for your endeavor to reach out to us and to rescue us from loneliness and from sin and to bring us into your family. And again, I ask that you would pour out a grace upon this group of people, that you would pour your love into us, that you would renew our our mind, that you would deliver us from distractions, you would deliver us from temptations, you would deliver us from those subtle things the enemy would try to do. I pray for those who are facing crossroads and intersections, that they will be able to hear what you want them to do, and that they would make those decisions. And I pray even as they make the hard decisions to follow you, that there will be the great grace of God comes upon them to carry out those decisions. I pray over these altars, Lord, that today as people gather to be prayed for, that there will be release and there will be encouragement, that there will be words that come to them that help them in their, in their walk. Lord, we ask it in Jesus' name. So if you need prayer, come on up.